0: Turn with me in your Bibles this morning to Matthew chapter 16. See, this is why I love school starting back. Look look at how many people show up this morning. Everybody gets back in their routines, and and now we're all here together instead of, you know, everyone vacationing and all of that. That, It's good to see everyone again. You know, I missed y'all all all summer. No, I'm just kidding. I know y'all were here, but things change a little bit in the summer. But uh, Matthew chapter 16, so we're in a series right now called Family Matters 2, and I want to just... If you've been here, you know, we're in week 13, and what we've been doing in this series is I've just been taking the sponge, so to speak, and just squeezing it for everything it's worth. Just any anything I have that the Lord has shown me, anything, any little bit of insight that he's given me on the topic of family, I'm just trying to squeeze it out to you, okay? And some sometimes we get on these topics. I had somebody joke this week, because we're talking about raising kids, but someone was you know, sitting next to their wife, and we were talking about selfishness last week, and they leaned over and said, oh, yeah, man, we really need to help the kids on this. And they said, kids? I hadn't even been thought about the kids. (laughs) And I said, well, that is the point, because we have to look at ourselves before we can start training our kids. In other words, we're not going to get anything in our kids that's not in us. And anything that's in us negatively is going to find its way into them. And that's that's just the way it's designed. It's it really the family is a model of discipleship. And for those of you that have been here, you've heard me say this a hundred times. We are not raising kids. We are training adults. And that is so important to keep that in your mind when you're when you're looking at your kids. We are not raising kids. Get that out of your mindset. We are not raising kids. We are training adults. And that is a big difference. That's a big mindset difference. Now last week. Um, we started talking about selfishness because we've through this series we've looked at eight milestones things that we want to get have to get into our kids before they get out of our house and number seven was we have to begin defeating selfishness in their life why because you can't serve God from a point of selfishness number one and you will destroy yourself and your marriage through selfishness so let's look at Matthew chapter 16, if you haven't realized, this world is designed, and our, our whole society has been designed to please self. I mean, if you look at all of the things in our society right now, they've, they've all been designed and built a certain way for people to please themselves, to, to please self. Well, the problem with that is that the gospel calls us to something totally opposite and totally different than that. Matthew chapter sixteen verse twenty four. Then Jesus told his disciples, "If anyone would come after me, let him deny what himself. If anyone would come after me, so let me say this. Uh, you know, let me say this a little more plain for us. What he's saying is, you can't serve God and serve self at the same time. See, the choice for a Christian is not, do I live for God or do I live for the devil? The choice for a Christian is, do I live for God or do I live for self? That's, that's the choice for most people. The other God is not really Satan. Satan's not a God at all. The, the other God is self. And that's what you see in our society. Most people are not really, if they're not serving God, they're not really serving the devil. They're serving self. They're living for self. And this is why Jesus made it so clear. He said, you will not serve God and self if you're going to serve God, you will have to actually crucify self. You will have to deny self. You will have to denounce self. You ever heard of like martyrs and Christians that are living for God in another country, you know, and someone puts a gun to their head and they're like, hey, if you want to live, deny Christ. You ever heard? we probably all heard stories like that, you know. Uh, if you want to live, denounce Christ, deny Christ. This is kind of what Jesus is saying here, but in a different way. He says, if you want to live for me, deny self. Denounce self. Self. The world is built to serve and lift up and exalt self in everything we do. Feed me, this is self. Feed me, entertain me, please me, serve me, exalt me on social media. I know y'all know social media is just one big self exaltation platform. Why do I keep saying that? Because it makes you mad when I say it. I just like doing it. It's fun. But (laughs) No, I'm kidding. Of course, there's a way to use social media that is good, but we all know it. We've all seen it. We've even seen the tendencies in ourselves. Social media, it can be just one big self-exaltation platform. Look at my life. Look at my vacations. Look at my apple pie I made. Look at my Pinterest crafts. Look at me. Listen to my quotes and my little bits of wisdom. Even look at my prayer life and the scriptures I was reading this morning. Me, 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 more, more, more. Look at me, like me, comment, post. It's all about self. You know that's really not good for us. It's not good for the human being because self always wants to be put in that position. Self always wants to be put in that position. Well, the Bible says the opposite. The Bible says deny self. The Bible says crucify self, not exalt, not exalt self. So look at what he says. If anyone would come after me, let him deny self and take up his cross and follow me. Now, to us, this word cross is you know because for for thousands of years now we've known about the cross and we've known about Jesus on the cross and so when people take the cross and they they wear it around their neck and they they paint pictures of it and they put it on their wall and you know it's the cross it's the cross but for them this was like the symbol of the electric chair I mean how many of you have a picture of an electric chair on your wall at home how many of you wear like a little gold necklace with an electric chair around your neck you kind of weird. it'd be a little bit weird if you did that. For the, for these people, that was the cross. The cross was the most horrific, horrendous. They had seen crucifixion. They had seen people nailed to the cross. It was not some sweet symbol of Christianity. It was not some sweet you know oh let's pray to the cross, battle go oh this shows you I'm a Christian. It wasn't that at all. It was horrific. It brought thoughts of terror. It brought thoughts of fear. It brought thoughts of bloody murder and devastation. So when Jesus, he hadn't even been, hadn't even been crucified yet, <clears throat> but they, they had all seen the Romans in crucifixion. There, was, you know, there were times where, where the emperor would actually crucify people along entire roads, just people crucified all down the road. As people drove, they had to look and see these people that were crucified to put fear in them, to terrify them. And so how strange would it be for Jesus to look at his followers and with that imagery say, If you want to come after me, let him deny self and take up his cross and follow me. It would be like me standing here today and say, you want to follow Christ? I want you to go out. I want you to buy an electric chair. I want you to put it in your house. Get ready because something's got to die. Okay, that was the the imagery here. What is he saying? He's saying, y'all think that I'm the only one that was called to die. I'm telling you, you are all called to die. Every one of you to follow Christ is called to give up self. And if you're a Christian, this is the battle that you're facing on an ongoing basis. You're not, you're not battling Satan like you would think. Satan's been defeated. Satan has, is no match. Satan is no match for the power of Jesus Christ, the blood of Christ, the name of Christ. Satan is no match for that. That's not the problem. <clears throat> That's not what you're fighting as a Christian. What you are fighting is your flesh. You are fighting self The sin that you have in your life, that's the battle of you and flesh. The problems you have in your marriage, that is self, that is flesh. You've not denied self. You've not denied flesh. For whoever would save, look at what he says, for whoever would save his life will actually lose his life. In other words, the, the path to real life is death. And see, how many of you believe that Jesus knows what he's talking about? Because I don't want this to be like a memory verse, right, that you learned when you were a kid. Oh, whoever saved his life will lose. And we quote it, we, but we're not, none of us live it. That, that's not the point. The, the point is not to say this and then we're just numb to it. Look, he's telling us about real life. He's telling us about truth. He's telling us how it actually works. He's saying, listen, I, I, I'm for you. Okay, I want you to have real life. I want you to have abundant life. I want you to have Zoe life. I want you to be blessed. I want your marriage to be blessed. I want your kids to be blessed. I want you to be blessed. And I'm I'm telling you how to get that. He says if you want life, if you want true Zoe life, it's, it's different than how the world has told you to get it. It's different than how the world has told you to get it. You actually get real life by losing yourself and by and crucifying your flesh, by giving up your life for Christ. Now, any Christian that's truly serving God and living with God already knows this. They've already experienced this. Th- those that are truly serving God and have, and have yielded their full life to Christ already know that life serving God, yielded to God with the flesh under is so much better. Look, I'm going to tell you right now, I've been serving God since I was 15, so I mean, I was raised in church, so, right, you could say my whole life. But really when I was 15, I started serving God, giving my life to the Lord. So for 25 years, and I'm going to just tell you, I'm one of the happiest people I know. <laughs> I love my life. I love my marriage. I love my kids. I love my job. I love my family. I am so happy. But a long time ago, I crucified self. And as Paul said, the life I, know, lo- the life I live, I no longer live for myself. I live it in Christ, for Christ, crucified with Christ. And does living the gospel require sacrifice? Of course. Paul said, I die daily. Paul said, I die daily. I, so Daily, the, the flesh is crucified. Daily, you deny the flesh. Da- daily, you lay your will down as Christ did in the garden. and You say, not my will, but your will be done. Daily, you encounter self's desires, self's visions, self's plans, self's wants. Daily, you encounter opportunities to not forgive. To yield to the flesh, satisfy the flesh, please the flesh. Go your own path. I'm tired of doing this. I'm tired of being married. I'm tired of... Daily we encounter that. And daily you lay down self. Daily you deny self and you live for Christ. And this is what he says. That is the path to life. That is the path to life. If you want to save your life, listen to what he said again. These These are the words of life. Okay, this will change your life. This will change the course that you are on. He said, if you want true life, if you want to save your life, lose your so-called life, lose your fake life, lose your self-life, your flesh. But whoever loses his life for my sake will actually find it. This is true for every person. This is, this is how the world works. And people fight it. They go their own way. They go their own path. They'll always end up right here. They will find, they will find that if they, if they denied Christ, they walked away from God, and they go their own path, and they think, this is the path I want, and they go down that path, they will always arrive right here, and they will find out that Jesus was right. I should have laid it down for him, and I would have experienced true life. So death to self is where you find true life. Let me say this. This is why many Christians have not experienced the fullness of the gospel. This is why many Christians are disillusioned with Christianity, because they haven't actually done this. You don't get this. You don't experience this half-denying self. You don't get this half-crucifying self. This is why he, the Bible talks about being lukewarm. He's You know, no, either go all in, either go all out. You will not get the fullness of the gospel being half in. You can't half deny self and follow Christ. No, it's a complete death to self. It's a complete death to self. Why can we do that? Because God is good and he can be trusted. And that when you do truly deny self and self is truly crucified, he actually actually loves you more than you love you. He actually has better plans for you than you have for you. So he can be trusted. He can be trusted. But see, many Christians that are disillusioned with... People are walking away from the gospel all the time. I I read a statistic this morning that Gallup just put out. Every year they put out statistics. I like to stay up on them. I just read uh, a statistic this morning from Gallup that said, Now, in America, uh, only 20% of Christians believe that the Bible is the Word of God. The Bible is actually the written, perfect, inerrant Word of God. Only twenty percent of Christians believe that now. That's down thirty percent just from two thousand eleven. From two thousand eleven, it was fifty Christians were at fifty percent on that issue. Now, which I, they say Christian, but I don't even know that you could be called a Christian if you don't believe that. I mean, you, you can't even be called a Christian if you don't believe that. Uh, so, but twenty percent of professing Christians say that. The Bible is the Word of God. So, what's happening? Are people turning away from God? Uh, maybe, could be, or it could be uh, that the 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 fake is being shaken away, that the 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 wheat is being sifted, so to speak. The Bible talked about this. I mean, the Bible talks about that not all who say Jesus Jesus Lord Lord are Christians. That's very that's very clear. So we always know that there's a, there's a portion that aren't true believers to begin with. So, but here's what I'm saying. I'm saying that if we're going to... So this is for us and for our kids. If we're going to raise kids that are actually experiencing the fullness of the gospel, we need to raise them with this mindset that life is not all about you. And from a young age, it's going to be a lot easier for a child to lay down self and deny self for the gospel if they've been used to being doing that their whole life. But so many times with kids, if you think about how a lot of American kids are raised, they become like the center of the universe. They almost become the center of the family in a lot of ways, where they are served and, and you know, nurtured and coddled, and, and there's a place for that, don't get me wrong. But you can see where... Uh, that never does anything good for self. If you, take, if you take a selfish person and you coddle them and you, you, know, you smooth them over and you just serve them, it doesn't make them better. It makes them worse. And, and a lot of times, this is what we do with kids. They're just coddled and they're taken care of and they're nurtured and they're propped up and at every turn they're there to be rescued. Well, that doesn't, all that does is create a more selfish person and a person that's going to have a harder time laying down self For God, because for so long, their self has been the center of their universe. So, actually, what we should be doing, because we're training adults, is we should be training our kids. Hey, you're not the center of the universe. You're not the center of this family. Now, if you have an only child, that's, you know, harder to do. But it's good for kids to have other siblings, because they have to learn to... They have to learn that I'm not the only, only child here that you know, is most important. They have to learn to share. They, ha- they learn good things about sharing and being part of a family. Why is that good? Because, uh, because when you become part of the Christian faith and you try to live the gospel, that's going to be a regular thing is this life is not about you. That's like one of the foundational principles for Christianity. This life is not all about you. It's not about your hopes, your dreams, your desires, not about you being successful. Not, not about that. It's about the kingdom succeeding and your part in that. It's about, it's about the kingdom. It's about Christ being exalted and his will being accomplished on this earth and whatever your part is in that. So even if you are successful and you have a, a business and you're a successful person, that's still in service of the kingdom. So It's actually not about you just being successful. It's about... God gave you that success, and he did those things in your life so that you would be more of a blessing and more of a servant to the kingdom. I like to say it this way. If we could just get this in our mind, this life is not about you, okay? But the next life, the next life, while it's also not about you, but the next life is where you're really going to get those rewards for how you lived in this life. I'm not trying to get rewards, you know, for, for everything in this life. The real rewards are coming in the next life. Are there rewards in this life? Yeah, of course. God is faithful and he rewards and sowing and reaping, all of that. But really, our call is to lay down our hopes, dreams, visions, desires for this life and pick up Christ's hope, dreams, visions for this life. What is he trying to do? What is he trying to accomplish in this earth? And let me align myself with that. How many Christians do you know, and maybe you've experienced, you know, said these same things, So many Christians that I talk to and find out, actually, it's almost like, well, I have my life, and if I do all the right things, God is going to just come and bless my life. In other words, he'll bless my family, bless my business, bless me and what I'm doing. Again, that's the opposite approach to the kingdom. That is the total opposite approach to how Jesus said, live life. This is what Jesus said, life. He said, no, kill, kill your life and yourself Crucify that. Come over here and pick up my life. And he said in this way in Matthew 6, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and let him take care of all these other other things. That may seem like a subtle difference, but it's actually a huge difference. I'm not over here saying, This is my life, this is my world, you know, God just come bless it. All of it has been put on the altar. All of it's been put on the altar. Sacrificed, crucified, and said, God, what do you want? If you want me to pastor, I'll pastor. You want me to go be a school teacher, I'll be a school teacher. You want me to go work at Walmart, I'll go work at Walmart. What do you want me to do? I don't care. My life is not mine. My life is your life. Use it how you want me to use it. And when you do that, what you will find from the Word of God is you will find true life. You will find true life. How many know this is different than how the world thinks? And that's all of the gospel. Very very different. The world thinks, you got to get yours. You got to go after it. Don't let anybody, and I, you hear these things all the time. Don't let anybody tell you you can't do something. You got to be true to self. No, Bible says kill self. Not literally kill yourself, but kill self. Kill the flesh. Deny self. So the world and the Bible have a totally different perspective on this and just so you know you can't mix the two. They don't mix well. And this is why so many Christians are actually not experiencing the fullness of the gospel is because they are not living this fully and completely. They're not living this fully and completely. And so they're getting some kind of watered-down, mixed, mishmash version in the middle, and uh, they're not getting the fullness of it. But Jesus' words are true, and there are no exceptions. If you lose your life, you will find true life, period. Even if... That true life for you looks like Paul's life where you're in the middle of shipwrecks and beatings. And Paul wasn't all broken down, feeling sorry for himself, not enjoying life. He had problems, but because he had zoe life going on in the inside of him, he was happier than somebody with their feet propped up, you know, uh, living the good life. Because I've met a lot of people with their feet propped up living the good life that are miserable. Why? Because they don't have true life. That's not true life. Christians weren't called to live that kind of life. Now, I know we're talking a lot about this, and you might think, okay, where's the parenting? Because these are the ideas we have to get in our kids from a young age. We have to get these ideas in our in our kids from a young age that this life is not about you. This life is about God and His kingdom, and what is His call on your life, and how are you going to lay down your life for Him? Ephesians 4.22, in case you think, oh, well, you know, I did this all the day I got saved. And so, yeah, that's already taken care of. Well, let's look at Ephesians four twenty-two. Paul is encouraging the Ephesians. He says, but that, but that is not the way you learned Christ. Assuming that you have heard about him and were taught in him, as the truth is in Jesus, to put off your old self, which belongs to your former manner of life and is corrupt through deceitful desires. So Paul is talking to a group of Christians and he says, listen, guys, those of you that are living for Christ, he said, you have to continue this. You have to continue putting off your old self. Any of you as Christians ever had your old self try to creep back up? That's not not strange. That's not abnormal. Uh, That's not unusual. That happens a lot. And he says, no, you have to put off your old self. Which belongs to your former manner of life and is corrupt through deceitful desires, and to be renewed in the spirit of your minds, and to put on the new self created after the likeness of God and true righteousness and holiness. So, so you can see that regularly a Christian is going to have to put off the flesh, deny the flesh, put off the old habits. Yeah, I used to be a person of anger of anger. Oh yeah, I used to be someone that was selfish. I used to be greedy. All of those things. But today, I'm a, I'm a different way. Do those old things try to creep back up? Yeah, sure they do. Sure they do. And you put them off, and you put on the new self. But see, a lot of Christians don't think like that. This is how they think. They think, well, when I got saved, um, old things passed away and all things become new. Well, really, that's what he's talking about right here. Really, that's what he's talking about. Old things did pass away. But the, the news is, old things are going to try to come back again. <laughs> Old things passed away and all things became new. Yeah, but the old self is going to come knocking again. And it's your job to say, no, you're not welcome. That's not who I am. This is how I'm living now. 2 Corinthians 5, 14. This is in the Holman Christian Standard. It says, for Christ's love compels us since we have reached this conclusion. If one died for all, then all died, and he died For all, so that those who live should no longer live for themselves. But for the one who died for them and was raised. You see, this is the Christian life. He says, as a Christian, the reason why you were saved. Look, he died for all. So that those who live, those who continue to live on this earth, should no longer live for themselves. That's contrary to how the the world lives. The world is living for themselves. But he says, for Christians, you're not supposed to be living for yourself. Actually, you're called to no longer live for yourself, but instead to live for the one who died for them and was raised. Now, let me tell you, the longer you've been in church, the longer you've heard messages like this and not done it, the harder this is going to be for you. The longer that you've been in church, because the first time a person hears this as an unbeliever, they realize how clear the choice is. But then something happens to Christians along the way where they hear messages like this and don't do it, and their heart begins to harden. And they get used to hearing this and kind of tuning it out. They get used to going, okay, yeah, I know that, but you know, I'm probably not going to really change that much, and I'm going to kind of stay right here. So you need to be aware of that, that the longer you've been saved and the more aware you are of what I'm talking about, the more you've heard it, the harder this is actually going to be for you to do. Because anytime you hear truth often and repeated and you hear it and then you don't act, you're doing something to your heart. The Bible calls it searing your conscience, becoming numb, where you don't feel the way that you should feel. You're not, you're not convicted the way you should. You're not moved the way that you, that you should be. So if you've been a Christian for a long time, this is going to actually be a little bit harder for you. Another reason it's going to be harder for you as a Christian that's been, been a Christian for a while is because you may have already crucified the parts of your life that were easy for you to do, and what's left are the ones that you really don't want to give up. So you've already made a lot of progress. And so then it's almost like, You know, we we laid down a lot of things in the beginning, and we kind of laid down those things that were obvious and that really weren't important to us, you know, and we laid them down. And so now we're 75% of the way there. And so that last bit, though, that's the part that's holding you up. And what I would say is for every Christian, I don't care who you are, this is a regular part of my life. I feel like every year, another part of me dies. Every year, when we fast, Every year we take 21 days to seek the Lord. There's something else that falls off. There's something else that's, that's given up. Because I don't think anybody's perfect at this. But every year as a Christian, and then there are things that have fallen off, and then they creep back in. And then so next year you've got you to gotta get that off. And this is the Christian life. And, and so sometimes when, people, when Christians hear this, they go, Well, this just sounds like a lot of work. <laughs> it's a tremendous amount of work. Nobody said it was going to be easy. It's a tremendous amount of work. But how many of you know he's worth it? The gospel is worth it. The kingdom is worth it. Yeah. And the good news for a Christian is the Bible says that he empowers our work by his grace. He empowers our work. But if you read through the New Testament, you'll see this phrase a lot. Make every effort. And then he fills in the blank. Make every effort to love. Make every effort to be in unity. Make every effort to pray. Yeah, living the Christian life requires effort. And if anybody told you different, they didn't read you the whole gospel. You will not read through the New Testament and find that it is devoid of effort from you. Sometimes that's what people think what grace is, is like, well, you know, being a Christian is supposed to just be all grace, all grace, all grace. Nope. praise God for grace. It requires a tremendous amount of effort on your part, as does anything in this life. And if you'll read these scriptures that we're reading, you'll see that because he puts it on them. He tells them, you, Jesus said, anyone who followed me must pick up his own cross. Does that sound like effort? Sound sounds like a lot of effort. Pick up your own cross. That's right. It is effort. But it's very doable. And there's no greater life than truly living, totally sold out for God. So it's very important, getting back to our children, it's very important that this is the worldview that's put in them. That this life is not about you. Now, also, though, that's not just something that we say, it's something that we have to teach them every day as they're growing up. We do that by the way that they are, they are made to share. They are made to serve others. The way that they prefer others and speak to others and what they are disciplined for versus what they are rewarded for and all of that, this is teaching them That this life is not about you. This life is about Christ. And even the things that we communicate. That's why from a young age we never told our kids, oh, you could just be whatever you want to be. You could be anything you want to be. You could do anything in this life. We never told them that. Because that's not true. And that's not even why you were put here on the planet was to just go do whatever you want to do. You know, the, that's the world's mindset. The world's mindset is, oh, just follow your passion. What do you want to do? Oh, just find what you're passionate about and go do that. Well, I was passionate about being a cowboy when I was a kid. and I kind of am one on the side a little bit every now and then. But anyway, uh, you don't just follow your passion. No, it's not follow your passion. There's been a lot of things I did in my life in 100% service to God, not because I was passionate about it. There have been places I've stayed and things I've, that I've done and put myself and my family through. Not because I was passionate about it. Actually, I didn't like the thing I was doing. But I was passionate about serving God. I was passionate about living for God. And sometimes in doing that, you will find yourself in a situation that aren't a lot of fun. I mean, if you just look at the life of Joseph he was in a prison, he was in a dungeon. I don't think he was passionate about being in the dungeon, passionate about being a slave. I don't think he was passionate about those things, but he was passionate about God. What about David when he was under Saul and Saul was trying to kill him, throwing spears at him, chasing him all over the wilderness, and he wouldn't lay a hand on Saul? Was it because he was just passionate about, you know, being homeless and running around? No. He hated that part of his life, but he was passionate about serving God and honoring God and living for God. So, I don't, tell, well, I don't tell my kids, you can do anything you want. Just you know, follow your passion. Do, you can be anything you want to be. They've heard from the time they were young you were put here on this planet for a specific reason and a specific purpose. God put you here, and it's your job, our job, to discover what that is. You're not just here to do whatever you want, you're here to find out why God put you here because there's no wasted people on this planet. He put everybody here for a reason. And a purpose. And those who yield their life to him. He won't force it. But those who yield their life to him. Who deny self. He'll take them and he'll use them. Far beyond what you ever thought you could be used. He'll do through you far beyond what you ever thought was possible for you and your family. But you got to yield yourself. You got to deny self. What's the biggest challenge in doing this? Well, it's self itself. The Bible also calls it the flesh. Galatians five sixteen. Paul, who had a really good handle on this topic, said this. But I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. So right away, you see there are two desires that are competing with each other. And again, he's talking to Christians, and he, he's talking to himself. And he says, if every day I walk according to the Spirit... There's this other set of desires that will be there, but I won't yield to them and I won't follow them. I'm going to walk according to the Spirit. And as long as I'm walking according to the Spirit, I will not yield and gratify the desires of the flesh. But the moment I quit walking in the Spirit, something else is going to take over. So he says, I say walk by the Spirit and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh, for the desires of the flesh are against the Spirit. And the desires of the Spirit are against the flesh for these are opposed to each other in other words they are at war with one another to keep you from doing the things that you want to do or that you ought to do again if you've been living the christian life for any time you've experienced this this is one of the most important things for a christian to learn is that you have a flesh and you have a spirit that's like god that's been transformed to be like god but you still have a flesh nature that has its own desires don't feel bad when you have bad desires. Don't be shocked when you have wrong desires. Don't be shocked when you want there's a part of you that wants to do right, but then you end up choosing wrong. Okay, that's not that's not the goal, but that happens. Why? Because you still have a flesh nature. And for the believer, the way that you begin to really be fruitful in the kingdom of God is by learning how to crucify the flesh, learning how to put the flesh under, learning how to weaken the voice and the influence of the flesh, and on the other side, learning how to strengthen your spirit, build your spirit so that your spirit is strong, the voice of your spirit is strong, and that the impulses of your flesh are weak. And so that in any given moment, you got your little voice over here, and it kind of sounds like a little mouse, and your flesh is just like... Little, yeah, I really want to do that. But then your spirit is like this, and your spirit is big and strong, and it can overcome, and you can do what you want. But for a lot of people, it's reversed. Their flesh is like Arnold, you know. And, and, and their spirit is like a little mouse, just weak, and their spirit's like, hey, I want to do this. And your flesh is like, shut up. We're doing what I want to do because I'm in charge. And there are people that are totally dominated by their flesh. They have no control over the impulses of their flesh because they've, for so long they've yielded to the flesh. They've fed the flesh. They've strengthened the flesh. And listen, that doesn't turn around in one, one moment. It's a process of weakening the flesh and strengthening the spirit. This is the power of fasting. Now, we're not, we're not in a fast right now. We will be fasting at the beginning of the year. You can fast any time you want. But this is the power of fasting. The reason fasting is so powerful is because it accelerates this process. This process of weakening the flesh and strengthening the spirit, you take 21 days or 30 days or even three days to just totally crucify, totally deny. It. No, you're not eating what you want. You're not watching what you want. You're not waking up when you want. What does that do? It weakens the flesh. It takes the control and the power of the flesh and it puts it under. And on the other hand, the spirit, the spirit wants to pray. Spirit wants to read. Spirit wants to podcast. You do all those things. Your spirit gets strong and big. Listen, There are so many Christians that are walking around depressed, discouraged, defeated. Three days of fasting and prayer would turn their life around. Three days of truly fasting and prayer where you crucify the flesh and feed your spirit would revolutionize your life. Just three days. Much less to take 21 days to pray fast. So many of you have done it with us when we do it in the beginning of the year. Now, I'm not talking about prayer and fasting, but that's why prayer and fasting works is because of what's going on between your, your spirit and your flesh. Listen, I'm not against eating good food. Matter of fact, I am very, very, very pro eating good food. Okay? I'm not against entertainment. I, we watch entertainment. You know, We watch football. We watch Netflix. We do all that. I'm not against any of those things. But you do understand that we live in a society right now that is almost centered around that. Eating, feeding, eating, entertainment, just feeding the flesh 24-7. Listen, if there's not some kind of boundaries with that, it's just going to turn into a monster. <laughs> and your spirit, on the other hand, is going to be weak. And then you wonder why you have so many of the problems that you have. So many of the issues that we have are because our spirit is weak and our flesh is strong. Our flesh is massive. Now, again, we're going back to parenting. We've got to teach our kids this from a young age. When you see your kid throwing a fit on the floor, this is how you should think. Man, look at the flesh. Look at the flesh. The flesh is manifesting right now. And here's the truth of it. That's still in you. Now, I know you think, you see kids on the floor, and they throw a fit when they don't get their way. Listen, that's still in you. Now, at least in public, you don't do that. But if I could go home with some of you, because I've heard stories no, it manifests itself different. You may not throw yourself on the floor, but you have figured out other ways to get your way. Silent treatment, anger, right, cursing. You know, you. The flesh is still the flesh. And the flesh, has, the flesh learns at a certain age you know, that, okay, I can't throw myself on the floor and kick and scream and, th- and fling my arms around, but then how can I get my way? And the flesh is a master, masterful, at learning how to get its way. That's why from a young age, when you see your kid acting a certain way, you you don't go, oh man, I just have a horrible kid. No, they just really know how to yield to the flesh. Really, really good. They're really good at it. And the Bible says a rod of discipline will drive that far from them, but we're not going to get on that this morning. And there are other things. There are other things that will drive it far from them, okay? Not just the rod of discipline. There's lots of things. But that's our goal as parents is we have to teach our kids, you're not going to yield to the flesh like that because you have to overcome that and you have to learn that you have different desires and different impulses and you've got to learn to yield to the Spirit. And so many times after, you know, uh, you know, after a moment of discipline or, or after an issue, I'll sit down, or especially when they were young, sit down with my kids and go, okay, now this happened. And let's look at what led to it. And we'll walk them through this process. You wanted to do this. You yielded to your flesh. What would happen if you'd have happened if you would yielded to the Spirit? What would have happened if you would have just obeyed mom and dad? What would have just happened if you would have walked in love towards your sister? Think about all these problems we had and all this disruption. What would have happened if you just yielded to the Spirit? Now, the younger they are, talking doesn't work as well. Okay? I wish parents would figure this out real quick. Talking works better as they get older. When they're younger, less talk, more action, more discipline. That's what's needed, okay? A lot of people wait, well, they're too young to be disciplined. No, they're too old to be disciplined. After that, they need to be disciplined when they're young, and you drive that out of them. Afterwards, talking begins to work. As, as, by the way, this is not the sermon this morning, but I got to throw these little plugs in where I can. By the way, people are much more open to talking after they've been disciplined, and what they will figure out real quick is, isn't talking a lot more pleasant? And when you listen to talking, you get more talking. But when you don't listen to talking, you get disciplined. And you will find a much more humble, open ear to the talking when they've been disciplined. Don't forget that. That was for free. I just threw that out this morning. <laughs> That'll help some of you. Praise God. All right. So... When you see this in your kids, what you're seeing is you're seeing the flesh nature, and every kid has it. It doesn't matter how uh, sweet they seem, how gentle they seem. You think, oh, they don't have, no, they got a flesh nature. It may not manifest itself in fits and anger and hitting and biting and slapping. Some of them it does. It may not manifest itself that way, but every child has a flesh that has to be crucified, and they have to be born again and saved. And for the ones that are more quiet and tender, you got to really pay attention because a lot of times they internalize it and they just have those thoughts going in on up here and they're building and creating all these wrong mindsets. And a lot of times what they're doing instead of manifesting it out is they're harboring hatred, they're harboring unforgiveness, they're harboring resentment, they're feeling sorry for themselves, they're going into depression. Yeah, it's not manifesting out like the fit thrower and all of that, but the flesh is still working. On the inside. So you have to pay attention because it's not just the ones that are throwing the fits. Every one of us have a flesh that has to be dealt with. Okay, last thing we're going to talk about this morning is this idea that the Bible teaches of self-control. I want to look at that word specifically self-control because it's such a strange word, but it's it's just in the Bible. It's all over the place in the Bible. We know self-control is one of the fruits of the Spirit. But that, that Let's just look at the word control and how strange it is, right? It, and in our society, it's a very negative word if we go, well, you know, my husband is very controlling, or my wife is very controlling. It's a negative word. Anytime you're trying to control something else, it's usually looked at as negative. And so, you know, if, for example, if you were walking through uh, Petco and you know, somebody had their little dog in there and their dog was running all over the place and, you know, nipping at people and knocking stuff off the shelf. And you kind of looked at them and you're like, hey, you need to exercise some dog control. You know, what's the matter with you? That would be weird. probably wouldn't be received very well, even though it's true. Or if you were in Petco and someone had their child running around, their child was knocking stuff off the shelf and you're like, hey, you need to exercise some child control right now. That would be a little bit weird as well. You know, those aren't terms that we use, but that's kind of what you're thinking, is you need to get control of your dog, you need to get control of your child, and then we use words like crowd control, right? I mean, this this happened just, a, I don't know, what, year ago over in Houston, big, big concert, crowd got out of hand, multiple people were killed, I think 10 to 14 people were, were killed, the crowd got out of hand, somebody... Um, that was close to the situation, told me almost every police officer in Houston was there, plus plus hired security, trying to do crowd control and still got out of hand. They're trying to control the crowd. Here's the point. Anytime you think in these terms of control, you're talking about something that has a tendency to easily and quickly get out of hand, right? Especially think about a crowd, large crowd. You know, crowd starts moving one way, and it's just so hard to control. It's not like you can just put up your hand and stop it. It's it's just it could get out of control very fast. This is what riots and things like that. They just spiral out of control real quickly. And yet the Bible, you this is the word the Bible uses for your flesh. This is the word your Bible uses for the flesh. Now think about if you read in the book of James, just one element of your flesh, which is your mouth. Just one element, one one very teeny tiny you could say uh, sort of like vessel of your flesh is your mouth. And James has a whole chapter about it. He, write, he said, the tongue is a fire. It is a flame from hell. It will set the whole world on fire. He said, the tongue is so powerful it has to be under control. He said, who can tame the tongue? It's almost impossible. That's just, but see, the, tongue's not, the tongue is neutral. It's not really the tongue that James is talking about. He's talking about what happens when an uncontrolled flesh nature gets a hold of a tongue. And when an uncontrolled flesh nature gets a hold of a tongue, it can destroy marriages. It can destroy everything. James has a whole chapter about the power of a tongue that is set on fire. A tongue that is fully yielded to the flesh just a... You know, a pit of poison that comes out. That's just your tongue, but the flesh seeks to control every area of your life. And this is why the Bible talks so much about this word, self-control. You are called to control yourself and to control your flesh nature. Yes, control in the most strict, even negative sense of the word. Control. You are in control. And this word self-control, which is found so often in the Bible, it almost, it almost brings up these ideas like it's a beast. I mean, it's a monster that has to be controlled. And you've got to really pay attention to it. It's like if you had this monster down in the basement that is you know 50 times your size and it's just trying to get out and you've got this big metal door and you're just controlling it down there and you kind of you open the door and you throw it a little food and you slam it back shut. You've got to control it. Why? Because if it gets a finger out. If it gets one finger out and it starts pulling on that door, then it gets two fingers out and it starts pulling out. Before you know it, the flesh is out of control and taking over. So that's how the Bible thinks about your sin nature and your flesh. Let, look, let, let me please understand this. Please understand this. Every single horrible, horrific thing that's ever happened on this planet. I'm talking about murder. I'm talking about I can't list all of it because there's kids in here I can see this morning. But you think about all the travesties and all the horrific, horrible things that have happened on this place, on this earth, were unleashed on this earth. They were unleashed on this earth. They weren't here, but they were unleashed on this earth through something that the Bible calls sin. And and when sin got one inch, it just how did it start? I did one thing the that God said not do. And it opened a crack, and the whole thing. Every you look around this world at all the problems, at all the all the pain you've experienced, all the trauma, all the death, every single thing that's ever happened. It began with a crack, where the flesh came in, the sin sin came in. It got one little finger in, and our whole earth is what it looks like today, as a result. It got to the point where. God sent the flood to just wipe the whole thing out and, and, and start over because it just got so out of hand from the power of sin and flesh. And those things go hand in hand. Your flesh nature is your sin nature. And how many marriages, how many relationships have been destroyed through letting one little crack of the flesh get and do and what it wants and before you know it, it just spirals out of control. So yeah, self does have to be controlled. Self-control, that's a proper word. It has to be controlled. Flesh has to be controlled. Now, so many parents are not disciplining their kids or training their kids correctly because they don't understand really what they're dealing with. And they don't understand what we're talking about this morning. It's not cute. It's not funny. Oh, it's not something they'll grow out of. I got news for you. They're never growing out of it. Never growing out of it. They might be trained out of it. They might even change and It might look different. They're not growing out of it it will have to be challenged in their life. It will have to be challenged in their life by you, and that's your job. That's what, that's what we're supposed to do. That's what we're called to do as parents. Look, I am I got so much more here. We could stay here for another hour. I know y'all are getting hungry, so I don't g- really go much longer than this. I'm, I'm not, I can't get to it all this morning, and we're not going to spend another Sunday on it. So I'm just going to tell you a few quick things on this. Okay, number one, selfish people are not happy people. Because... Self was never designed to be served. You will never be happy being selfish. And that's what people are usually trying to get when they're being selfish. They're trying to get happiness. But selfish people are never happy. You show me a kid that gets everything they want, that has everything handed to them, that is not a happy child. That is not a happy child. It turns them into little monsters. They're not happy people. But on on the other hand... You show me a kid that has been taught to serve others and share. That life is not all about them. That is where true happiness comes in. And this is exactly what Jesus said. It's a a fact from the Word of God that it is better to give than to receive. See, that takes selflessness to give. But he says it's actually more blessed to give than to receive. So children should be taught to serve others. And give and share. And that, the, that this world is not all about them. This is Proverbs eleven twenty four. One gives freely yet grows all the richer. Another withholds what he should give and only suffers lack. Whoever brings blessing will himself be enriched. And one who waters others will himself be watered. See, This is a principle of scripture. As we are unselfish and as we learn to serve others, then we are blessed ourselves. Okay, last thing. Four quick things on what to do to defeat selfishness. Number one, you knew I was going to say it. you got to model it. Number one, you have to model unselfishness towards each other, towards your children in your church, all of that. Number two, what can we do to help our kids defeat selfishness in their lives? Number two, serve others. They need to serve other people. They need to serve their brother, their sister, their parents, their church, their, their grandparents, they need to serve. We instilled this in our kids when they were young. Anytime you are fighting to get your way, you're going to get the opposite. In other words, if we have two pieces of pie and one of them's bigger, the first kid that speaks up and says, that's mine, the other one gets it. Every time. We, we taught our kids from a young age, when you fight to get your way, you lose what you're fighting for. The one who keeps their mouth shut and prefers others is likely who's going to get it. And yeah, they can tri- they can manipulate that. Don't they learn? They, yeah, oh yeah, real fast. Oh look, I want to give the bigger piece to brother. Yeah. Mm-hmm. No, no, you gotta pay attention. That flesh is smart, boy. Let me tell you, it, it's crafty. You fight to get your way, you always will get the opposite. It's when you are when you serve others and you put others ahead. That's when you're really blessed. So discipline. That uh, so serve others. Two, uh, three, uh, discipline, selfishness when you see it. And four, reward, generosity and kindness when you see it.